Besides room, I think every everybody will be able to hear. Okay. Yes. I think I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, I'm Deb Hastings. I'm the director of continuing nursing education here at Dartmouth Hitchcock, and I I know that you all know that, but there are some folks who may be joining us from their home computers. So for for, for all of you who may be out there, um, welcome. Um, so, uh, we are honored today to be joined by our presenter, Dr. Karen Zanni, and um, Dr. Zanni is an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at SUNY Empire State, which I just learned is in Saratoga. So, she comes to us from a beautiful area. Uh, we do have some learning outcomes for this activity, and they are that at the end of the activity, you'll be able to discuss the notion of ethical uncertainty, that you'll be able to review the elements of the 2015 ANA Code of Ethics, that you will be able to describe how the ANA Code of Ethics applies to nursing practice and discuss three ethical challenges common to practicing nurses wherever we practice. Um, of course, I do have my several brief announcements regarding accreditation. After this program, you will receive an email from the Center for Learning and Professional Development with a link to the online evaluation. And within two weeks' time, your credit will be posted to your online transcript. Uh, we do encourage you to give us the feedback because we do plan future offerings in part based on your feedback. Um, if you're here, please be sure that you have signed in uh, in order to, for us to register your attendance. And for those viewing online, um, you would need to email Judy Langhans, and that's judith.m as in mary.langhans, L-A-N-G-H-A-N-S, at hitchcock.org. Um, we need to know your name your uh, uh, zip code and your license, um, RN, LPN, whatever that might be. Um, everyone um, needs to attend at least 80% uh, of the program in order to receive credit. For folks who are joining us from afar, if you do have questions um, during the program, email them to Judy at that email address that I just gave you, and she will check her email at the end of the presentation and share your questions with the presenter. Our presenter is using her computer, so she won't be monitoring un until the very end. Um, for accessing your transcripts, it's, they're available on our website, or for folks who are here, there's a printed um, instruction sheet right by the sign-in sheet. We want you to know that neither our speaker nor anyone on the planning committee has identified a financial interest or a relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this activity and no one refused to disclose. The title of today's presentation is Today's Nurse and the 2015 Code of Ethics, Meeting the Challenges of Contemporary Nursing. And this does build on a program that we offered uh, earlier uh, in the year that was presented by our psychiat psychiatric liaison nurse, Peggy Plunkett, who has also been involved um, with this work. Uh, this comes at, after several requests from our uh, members of our target, target audience to again update the new uh, code of ethics. So in January, the ANA did roll out a revised code. It hadn't been updated since 01, um, and they were involved in an 18-month revision process. Um, nurse leaders involved in the process hoped that the newer version would guide and support all nurses, no matter where they work, in facing the difficult decisions um, that come before them in their practice. And um, Dr. Zani participated in that process, so we're really grateful that she has traveled to New Hampshire to share with us what you've learned, and I'm sure that was very interesting and probably difficult at times process. 
Indeed it was. So, <laughs> it's, indeed it was. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, um, yes, this, this process um, was certainly a very involved process. Uh, as a nurse and uh, as a researcher, I felt uh, privileged to be selected to be part of the revision of the Nursing Code of Ethics. Um, and, um, you know, I wanted to say that, you know, this, this process of revising a document, which is a seminal document, um, really struck home about its importance to nurses, especially in today's healthcare system, where technology and the change and how we practice uh, is, is more evident than ever. So I begin this presentation with what is the code of ethics for nurses with interpretive statements. And a code of ethics is a fundamental document for any profession. And it is a succinct document, a statement of ethical issues, obligations, duties, and professional ideals of nurses individually and collectively. It is the profession's non-negotiable eth ethical standard, and it is an expression of nursing's own understanding of its commitment to society. So the, the process of the revision itself was quite interesting. Again, I was selected from a pool of well over 500 applicants from around the nation. They took 15 of us, really 14, and they selected us for different reasons. My background, um, or my specific background, is genetics and genomics. And I've been doing genetics and genomics for a number of years. And so the value that they saw in me was that I could really bring that type of terminology to this document. So in October 2010, the initial discussion of the process for the code review took place, followed in June 2012 with a working group um, that was appointed. And the time frame, February 13th through April 13th, an ANA had an online survey comment period, and they, they surveyed nurses and they wanted to know what nurses thought of the old code and what some of the pressing issues were for nurses in today's practice. So in, in May 2013, the recommendation from the Ethics Advisory Board noted that this code must be revised. And just so you know, 2015 has been designated the code, excuse me, the year of ethics in, in terms of nursing and nursing practice. So again, this revision process in September 2013, the National Steering Committee, including myself, was selected and established to revise this document. We had an advisory committee below us, which consisted of over 300 members, and they were our sounding we had a really difficult discussion or we had something that was a pressing question, we just couldn't come to consensus, we would push it out to our, our 300 board member of, of advisory committee and they would help really clarify some of the issues. And then May 2014 through June 14, we had a draft revision posted for public comment. And this went out um, to all nurses and so we took some of those suggestions and we ranked them and we evaluated them. And then we scored them and again brought them back up for discussion among the 14 members. And then in 2014, in, in November, our code, the new code, 
was essentially approved by the AMA Board of Director for publication. So the revision highlights included an open forum and dialogue. We had this online discussion portal where we would come in, the 14 of us would come in, and each individual provision, nine provisions, were debated upon, were investigated, were really, really looked at for the terminology that they, they, they had embedded in 2001. And so we used this space called Nurse Space, which is a very creative online environment that ANA had established. And we were the, I think we were the, um, sort of the guinea pigs for this portal where we were able to use, we were collectively all in different geographical locations, but we used Nurse Space to help digest and dialogue about the nine provisions. We had a number of um, conference calls on a monthly basis. And then we had one on-site meeting at ANA headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland. So some of the survey results from the posting of the 2001 Code of Ethics came in the form of comments. And so provisions one through seven, we, de we determined that the language <coughs> and the content was still relevant, but we needed some minor changes to just really tweak and update that language. Provisions 8 and 9, um, we looked at some of the, the, the new landscape in healthcare delivery, and so we decided that technology and public and, and, public and global health were two pressing areas that were not really, you know, identified in the 2001 COVID ethics. So we really wanted to visit that. And then the preface, we determined, should be really just a simple, compelling summary of the overarching ethical themes with, with a call to all nurses in all settings and roles to really commit to those values <coughs> and the ideals that reflect itself in the code. And so some of the things that we considered during the revision, it was really difficult, I have to say, to keep the language so that it was really non-political, that the document in the code is not a lightning rod for controversial or divisive public debate, but rather it has timeless language, avoiding any buzzwords that will outdate itself, so it is a living, breathing document written for a period of time. You wanted things to be very succinct, clear, and understandable to both students and new nurses. And so we can trace some of this, um, this code back to um, nursing's distinguished ethical tradition. And so we looked at, we didn't look at, but we know that from 1896, there's the Articles of Incorporation. They call for creating, they create, they called for creating a code of ethics. And so we go back to the Nightingale Pledge from 1926 and 1940, where there were unadopted codes. And in 1950, we adopted a code. And so written in that code is the notion that it really needs periodic revision. And so it's the provisions plus the interpretive statements that really produce a living, breathing document. So we come back to this inclusive intent for this document. So it, it talks and speaks to all nurses in all roles and all settings that would be advanced practice nurses to chief nursing officers, educators, regulators, researchers, students, 
clinical nurses, volunteers in disasters, and nurses in uniformed services. So what remains unchanged is essentially the patient. The patient is an individual looking at the family member, looking at the groups, looking at communities, and looking at populations. So the basic structures of the nine provisions and in interpretive statements and the preface and the afterword are truly non-negotiable. And that's what remains unchanged in the code. Some of the overall changes, we have a much less wordy document. We have more direct language and very incisive language. We use a stronger use of the formal ethical language and the categories. We recognize the interpretive statements to follow the order within the respective provision. We modify the provisions for clarity, succinctness, and directness. We made effort to be inclusive of, again, all nurses in all settings and a more global approach. Um, the most dramatic changes occur in provisions eight and nine. We also added an addition, this is new, an addition of a glossary um, that's linkable and indexed and availability of web links. Again, some of the new elements include in the preface, sets the broader context of the document. We added an introduction which sets the immediate, immediate context and discusses some of the choices of our terminology. And again, we debated on many terms. For example, interdisciplinary versus intradisciplinary. And it was a really difficult conversation sometimes to, to go back and forth, but to, to really figure out what is most straightforward in the eyes of, of the new nurse, or the beginning nurse, or even the experienced nurse. Um, we discussed some of the relational framework and the three-part division of the provisions. We developed an, a new index and a resource list and all of the, the electronic links online for each provision, and that's available on nursingworld.org. And of course, a glossary. And some of these new terms and topics include the following, I won't go through all of them, but we um, incorporated terminology around research and evidence-based practice, nursing leadership and advocacy, interprofessional work and collaboration, moral distress, incivility, bullying, and violence, the nurse's voice in social justice and health policy, social determinants of health, the ethical practice environments that we all practice in. Is it a just environment? Is it supported by leadership and management? End of life care, social media, and genetics, nursing as a global unified profession, and the global collaboration to address climate change, some of the destabilization that's occurring in the world, and violence. Now the code structure is essentially um, a framework. It has a preface, an introduction, provisions, inter interpretive statements, an afterword, glossary, and an index. And this is just this is the book that came out. It's a small book, so it is easily portable. And again, it's on online at nursingworld.org. 
So it's it's really small. It's not a, a, a big book to carry around, and I like to always carry it in my briefcase or my backpack so I know it's, you know, it's with me and I, I can refer to it. So the code. So the preface sets the broader context of the code. And the introduction sets the immediate context. It discusses the choices of terminology and it identifies some new components, the glossary, the links. And it discusses the relational framework for those nine provisions. And again, it discusses the three-part division of the provisions. Again, the code has nine provisions, one through three. This addresses the fundamental values and commitments to nursing. Four through six address the boundaries of duty and loyalty. And seven through nine look at the duties beyond individual patient encounters. Throughout, we have a little bit more detail in the interpretive statements. They lay a foundation for nurses in all settings. They develop an understanding of what that foundation is. And we can really look at the application when we look through those interpretive statements. And so we, we can really look and see what it is we are talking about. We can look at examples in the interpretive, interpretive statements and we can look at how that refers back to the actual provision. So provision one, um, and I'm just going to go through the nine provisions very briefly, and these are some of the changes that occurred in the nine provisions that, I'm bullet, that I've bulleted here. So provision one looks at the nurse, and the nurse practices with compassion and respect for the inherent dignity, worth, and unique attributes of every person. So we short, shortened and sharpened. We made the language much clearer, more direct, and incisive. It's inclusive now of all nurses, all roles, all settings, and it emphasizes the leadership that nurses provide. It hardens a line against the uh, prejudice or bias and updates of personal attributes. And it's very explicit about the culture. And we made the end of life section much more robust. And provision two talks to the nurse's primary commitment to, is to the patient, whether an individual, family, group, community, or population. We looked at, we looked at um, the concerns over population health with a big push now towards looking at aggregate data and using aggregate data and using computers to sort of assemble some of that data. We felt that we needed to really address the population needs. So we acknowledged some of the issues of available resources and we embedded those resources for nurses. We acknowledged some of the conflicts of interest that occur in many roles and settings. And we embedded more direct information about gifts, dating, relationships with patients or coworkers. So provision three, addresses how the nurse promotes and advocates for and protects the rights and the health and the safety of the patient. It's, we strengthen the section on privacy and confidentiality. And this provision explicitly grounds the protection of human participants in research and respect for their autonomy and respect for persons and respect for self-determination. We expanded a section on informed consent 
and we, add a, we added much more clarity about the reporting of violations with research subjects. We also decided to um, look at performance and review material, and we moved that to Provision 7. We added a section on the culture of safety in the work environment, that nurses need to feel safe in their setting, that leadership must address any um, issues of bullying or incivility, and we made very explicit um, the process to address impaired nursing practice. If an, a, a colleague sees another colleague with some type of impairment, that it's her duty or his duty to report that. Provision 4 speaks to the authority and accountability and responsibility for nursing practice, making decisions and taking action <coughs> consistent with the obligation to promote health and to provide optimal care. We were very explicit about advanced practice roles in nursing orders. We clarified the relationship of accountability to responsibility, and we expanded the section on responsibility. We revised and we expanded the section also on delegation, assignment, uh, assignments, and uh, more explicitly to include nurse educators. And provision five, speaks to the nurse and owing the same duties to self as to others, including the responsibility to promote health and safety, to preserve the wholeness of character and integrity and main, maintain confidence and continue personal and professional growth. This provision, we clarified some of the wording, we reorganized the interpretive statements, and we added promotion of the personal health, safety, well-being of the nurse. This provision clearly states that the nurses need to never tolerate abuse, again looking back at um, incivility or bullying, both from the environment side of the work environment and from the patient side. It adds continuation of the personal growth beyond what is required for the per, uh, professional performance. And provision six, <coughs> speaks to the nurse through individual and collective effort, establishes and maintains and improves the ethical environment of the work setting and conditions of employment that are conducive to safe, effective, quality care. We added the ethical environment and we expanded and sharpened the language on virtue and the moral environment. And we were more direct about responses to a morally unacceptable environment and we expanded this particular section. For provision seven, it speaks to the nurse in all roles in all settings, advancing the profession through research and scholarly inquiry, speaking to the professional standards of development and the generation of both nursing and health policy. We explicitly discussed all nurses, all roles in all settings, and we reorganized these interpretive state and statements. We emphasized and we investigated um, where nurses are doing research and why it's important nurses need to be looking at scholarly inquiry, to be adding back to the profession. And we clearly described some of the contributions in specific and different roles. And for provision eight, we, we speak to the nurse as collaborating with other health professionals 
and the public to protect human rights. And this is this global approach. We decided that we really need to look at nurses who, who, who function across borders, who function across different different roles. So speaking to nurses to promote health diplomacy and reduce health disparities. So it's that really expansive, expansive approach that we were driving home at. So we made major revisions to mandate collaboration for human rights, health diplomacy, and to reduce health disparities. So we made a declarative focus that health is a universal right. We hit hard and we drove home the aspect on human rights and health disparities. So the language very much reflects that in Provision 8. We introduced health diplomacy and we added complex, extreme, extraordinary practice settings, for example, disasters. We had a lot of lengthy discussion. I think that was probably one of the more um, difficult provisions to, to really hammer home. But we decided that language was very important because nurses do find themselves in uh, situations um, of extraordinary practice settings. And Provision 9 um, speaks to the profession of nursing collectively through its professional organizations and, must, and we must be able to articulate nursing values, maintain the integrity of the profession and integrate principles of social justice into nursing and health policy. So we ex significantly expanded this provision from 2001. It now heightens the integration of social justice in nursing leadership, and as well as organizations. And it highlights nursing organizations' active engagement in social justice issues. So those are the nine provisions, and so the major changes for the nurse, looking at each provision, include the following. Research and evidence-informed practice, care coordination and advocacy, interprofessional collaboration, ethical practice environments, moral distress, incivility, bullying and violence, end-of-life care, social media, and genetics. So those changes now reflect in the new 2015 Code of Ethics with new language, new terminology, and very succinct and clear language. <clears throat> so some of the major changes for the profession that were recognized is that nurses', nurses voice in social justice and health policy are evident in today's practice that nurses have to know about social determinants of health. And nursing is certainly a globified, unified profession. And this code brings together those attributes. There's now an international collaboration to address, and that includes climate destabilization, violence and terrorism, emerging epidemics, and other global threats to health. So the provisions now address these areas. So the impact of the Code of Ethics, um, so it's, we all know the Code of Ethics is integrated into the nurse, State Nurse Practice Acts. It provides a legal standard of care. It's used as evidence in nurse competency hearings, in disciplinary proceedings, and malpractice cases. 
And these are just some of the other issues that were addressed. This, these terms are found in the glossary of the Code of Ethics. We very meticulously looked into the research, looked at seminal papers, and found clear definition, clearer definitions of these terms. And so if you go to the Code of Ethics book, in the back here is the glossary. And you can find what we define how these terms are being utilized in the new Code of Ethics. So just a few of them, that the ones that are highlighted were the ones that were um, kind of newer, but we needed to talk about them. So access, advocacy, what, what does error mean, pain and suffering, fatigue, social media, those are some of the new terms that we embedded, and they also are included in the, in the glossary with definitions. Um, we talked about the ethical work environment, the obligations of chief nursing officers and leaders to have a duty to create and maintain an ethical environment that supports nurses' autonomy and ethical decision-making. That there's an aspect to conscientious objection, that there's whistleblowing without reprisal, and that it looks at incivility and bullying, that this aspect of lateral violence is not acceptable in an ethical work environment. And that's an issue that some nurses are faced with today, and they feel, they feel, you know, distressed and, and not sure about what to do. So we looked at that and we said, well, the document now addresses that. And they can have a document that's clear, that could help guide them if they were faced with some of these issues of incivility or bullying. As far as moral distress and moral courage, now nurses can look at the Code of Ethics and if they have a question as to what's nagging them or something's bothering them, they can go to the Code. They can use the online portal and they can begin to look at what the language says. We have case studies that are embedded um, in some of these links so that nurses can see what, you know, what nurses are struggling with and maybe use that as a guide. We can look at maybe if a, if a nurse has something that's um, really impeding their practice and they want to figure out how to go forward, they can look at the code and, and, and utilize some of those, those provisions and understand that it's a living, breathing document that is really applicable to their practice. Some of the accompanying resources, um, there's a new book that was just released I unfortunately didn't um, bring enough copies, but there's a, a book put out by Marsha Fowler um, called The Guide to the Code of Ethics. It accompanies the revised code. Uh, it's also online, it's available online, um, will be I think in late 2015. And this is again filled with more narrative of what each provision means. There's some examples of, of case studies, and it speaks to sort of some of the um, so the application areas of the nine provisions with interpretive statements. Some of the other ANA codes that are available to all nurses are um, the ANA Center for Ethics and Human Rights. Um, I have, I will pass out, there's a sheet with links um, to some of these resources. 
There are position statements on ethics and human rights available at nursingworld.org. There's always ongoing educational opportunities through nursingworld.org. There are plenty of webinars. Um, the online journal for continuing education articles. And you can inform your nurses to watch for continuing education modules on many topics through the ANA. <coughs> In our discussion um, over the course of a year and a half, we determined that some of the top ethical challenges for nursing lie in these areas, including end-of-life care, treatment options, clinical prognoses, advanced directives, moral distress and organizational work environment, integrating genetics and genomics into practice, cultural diversity, and caring for people with different values and traditions. And lastly, access to care and affordable health care, equitable care. So I'm just going to walk through a, a, a brief case study. And it's, a, it's a, a study about, a case study about the right to die comfortably. So this is an 87-year-old patient with end-stage end lung cancer, and he's not yet ready to be hospice certified. He requests no further treatment. He wants to be kept comfortable. And the patient says he has lived long enough, a long and good enough life, and is ready to go. His adult children instruct the doctor to do everything for their father. The physician often sides with the adult children when making decisions regarding treatment and care for the father. So what do we know about this patient's situation? So just think about this. There's a conflict between morals and ethics. So what do, we, what do we know about the patient and his situation in this case that's presented? First, the first question we must ask is what we know about the patient and the patient's situation. So we know that this is an 87-year-old male patient with end-stage lung cancer. However, he is not terminal enough for hospice care. These are things that we know. He says that he has lived um, a long and good life and is ready to go. And he requests no further treatment for the lung cancer. But he wants to be kept comfortable until his death. That's what we know. <coughs> So the next question is to really ascertain as best as possible the values and moral preferences of the patient as expressed by the patient to the nurse. So keep in mind that the moral choice a moral choice can be influenced by the person's life and health situation. So we know perhaps the patient has a strong value of quality of life. So unless they are explicitly stated, stated explicitly, it is almost impossible to know the full depth and breadth of a person's values or moral norms from a single or brief encounter. However, we can determine the patient's values and moral norms based on their care and how they communicate these requests. 
So what do you think your assumptions are about this pa the patient's values and moral preferences as they relate to this case? So we know patient is tired of fighting, sounds like it, and that he's probably accepted his death. So what assumptions can you make that need more data to clarify? To review, when reviewing a case study or resolving an ethical uncertainty, we must recognize that this person may be involved in making assumptions about the situation at hand. And so these assumptions may lead us to make an ethical decision that could be challenged. So always, always review the situation objectively and ask yourself, do I know this for a fact, or am I making an assumption? And so before making any ethical decision, it's important to verify you have all the relevant facts. And so if we apply this, we know that this patient still has his cognitive faculties to make a decision of this importance. And it is children have legal rights to make decisions on behalf of the father and that there's no way to enhance the quality of life for the father. Those are some of the assumptions that you could make about an ethical problem. We want to ask yourself, how do your own feelings, or how do our own feelings and values influence the way you respond or view something? And you have to look at your own values regarding this case study. Do you believe the person has the right to reject, reject the treatment? on the grounds that he is tired of fighting? That is, if the treatment is not improving his health status? Is it your opinion that human life is sacred and is more important than a person's quality of life? And do you believe that the family, the adult family members, that is, should intervene and modify the wishes of a dying family member who is sound of mind? So those are some of the, the questions that we can kind of reflect and ask ourselves. So in this case, the patient wishes to be kept comfortable until his death. And let's say a nurse who values and whose values hold life sacred above all else may choose to not assist the patient in convincing the physician or, or adult <coughs> family members to respect his wishes. So those are all things that we visit while we're looking at um, our own values. And another question um, one might ask themselves is, are my own values in conflict with those of the patient? When your val values align with the values of the patient, the scope of the ethical problem is greatly reduced. But what happens when you find that your values are not the same as the patient's values? At that point, your ethical problem is even greater because your values conflict with those of the patient. So those are struggles that are all very common with nurses, and it happens um, to every nurse at least once in his or her career. So some of the solutions that we um, can incorporate include reminding ourselves that as a nurse, your duties and obligations are first and foremost to the patient, and your own needs and values come second.
And if you are unable to resolve the uncertainty within yourself, you have to ask another nurse or colleague assigned to the case. You still owe the patient the duty of do no harm. But it's important to remember that the patient's values should be affirmed, but they are not they are not always determinative, especially when a patient's decision is misinformed or uh, makes a, the patient makes a frivolous decision that has irrevocable consequences. So if a patient's values cannot force a nurse to practice substandard nursing practice or perform anything illegal or violate the code of ethics. When, when a nurse cannot, on ethical grounds, engage in some treatment, activity, or procedure, then another nurse or caregiver must be found who does not object to such involvement. Providing what she is being asked to do is not illegal or in violation of the code of ethics or requires uh, performing beneath the professional standards. <coughs> so what else do I need to know about this case and where can I obtain information? And this is where, when reviewing the cases and ethical problems, always ask, what additional information do I need to know and where can I obtain that? And can you think of any other details that you need to know in this case? Where might you obtain them? Whether the palliative care is commensurate with nursing practice or nursing standards, that is, whether the symptom control has been adequately achieved, these are some of the things that, um, um, you know, we need to include as far as details um, when assessing the case whether the patient's emotional or spiritual needs have been um, um, given attention, <clears throat> whether the patient's decision support appears to be consistent with his, his or her values, and whether the patient appears to be capable of decision-making consistent with, um, with those. And in this particular case, we have to ask, well, why, why it is that the children want continued treatment. So what <coughs> might you never know about this case? Well, a number of things. At this point, um, we've identified the patient's situation, what you know about the patient's values, the assumptions you, you might make regarding the case, your own feelings and values regarding the situation, and whether your values are in conflict with those of the patient. We know that knowledge is never absolutely complete, and so you want to keep in mind that the moral cases always involve a degree of uncertainty and this and, and, and ambiguity, because moral questions are questions of value, not questions of fact. So given your primary obligation to, to the patient, what does it take, what, what, should it, what should you do to be ethical? The last question of the ethical problem solving model here is to make a decision <coughs> on what should be done given your primary obligation to the patient and then reevaluating your decision to ensure it is the most beneficial.
So this is just a quick quiz. My quiz question one, it is not important for the nurse to understand the patient's values and moral preferences since these do not affect the patient's response to care. Is that true or false? False. That's correct. In order to provide the best patient care possible, the nurse will do his or her, be her best to understand the patient's values and moral preferences. Quiz question two. When you are faced with an ethical, ethical problem, you should identify the assumptions you are making and whether your assumptions can be validated or invalidated. True or false? True. True. That's correct. All ethical dilemmas or uncertainties will include the assumptions and you are making based on the data and details that are known to you. <clears throat> you must identify your own assumptions and seek to validate or invalidate your assumption. That's crucial to come to the best ethical decision. So, just to summarize some of the points here, we discussed the notion of ethical uncertainty. We reviewed the elements of the 2015 ANA Code of Ethics for Nurses. We described how the ANA Code of Ethics applies to nursing practice. We discussed three ethical challenges common to nurses. So, um, I, I have a little bit of a post thing, post test here. And I don't want to go through all the questions, but I think it's important to maybe look at some of these. <clears throat> and so we can just go through these together. It's not really a formal test, so we'll just walk through these. I'll read the questions out loud so that if we have any listeners, we can kind of discuss those. You might need one more. You do need one more? Uh, oh, maybe not. No, no, we're good. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. We don't have enough. I have plenty. So, so let's look a look, take a look at the first question. The first question is, which statement about a code of ethics is true? A, it gives specific direction. B, it is a general guide. C, it is a document for profession members only or D, it is developed by the public. The consensus is, I heard B. B? Can you explain more about C? It is a document for a profession members only. I'm, I may be the only one who doesn't understand it completely. Well, it's speaking to whether it's used directly and only for those for members, nurses. For nurses. Okay. So I heard B. B. 
The correct answer is B. A code of ethics functions as a general profession guide for the profession's members and as a social contract with the public that it serves. So that's the, the correct answer is B. Okay. Um, the second question, to which of the following does the nurse owe his or her primary commitment? A, third-party payers, B, the employer, C, the patient, or D, the physician? The patient. C. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. C. The correct answer is C. <laughs> this is C. Um, the provision two states that the nurse's primary commitment is to the patient whether it is an individual, family, group, or community. Great. Um, question three, habits of character that predispose persons to do what is right are known as A, morals, B, virtues, C, excellences, D, ethics. habits of character that predispose persons to meet their moral obligations, that is, to do what's right. Great. Guys are doing well. Even though I have the answers up there. Okay. Um, this is a, a short little vignette. I'm not going to go through all of these. We'll do a few more. So Sue is a registered nurse who has worked in labor and delivery for 30 years. She passes the unit's basic competency tests but has not attended any continuing education programs in the past two years. Does, does not subscribe to any journals and does and has not engaged in any other professional growth activities. What should the manager do? A, develop more advanced competency tests for Sue to take. B, meet with Sue to clarify expectations and explore future educational opportunities. C, nothing, it is Sue's decision to update her knowledge. Or D, refer Sue to human resources for a list of upcoming educational events. B. B. B is the correct answer because provision five identifies that the ethical nurse owes the same duties to self as to others, including the responsibilities to remain competent, continuing education, professional growth, and continuing personal growth. <clears throat> but she might not understand her expectations, so that's why it's important that um, her manager review and work with Sue to identify any future educational opportunities. Okay. Question five. Which of the following interpretive statements falls outside of provision one? A, respect for human dignity. B, the nature of health problems. C, professional boundaries. D, the right to self-determination. Mm. 
any thoughts? I don't think I know exactly what provision one says, so that's okay. my that's my Okay, so provision one speaks provision one speaks to the professional boundaries. It really speaks to the professional boundaries um, that nurses are held by, um, that they need to understand how they're supposed to interact with patients and colleagues. So the correct answer is C, professional boundaries. Professional boundaries identify the appropriate personal boundaries nurses should maintain when interacting with patients and colleagues. The question is what falls outside of oh. So wouldn't it be B? Be, you're right. right. That's what I mean. You're right. You're right. It's B. Right. <laughs> okay. Let's do one more. It's question six. You are the director of nursing in a large nursing home. Your units are staffed primarily with LPNs and nursing assistants. Recently, several nursing assistants have come to, your, come to you complaining about unequal treatment in assignments and privileges. You know that there are some racial tensions among the staff, which is predominantly persons of African American and Latino ident identity, and suspect that these may be contributing to the conflict. While the nursing home allegedly has a zero tolerance policy for discrimination, you know that this is not always the case. Which provision do you believe offers the best assistance in resolving this conflict? A, provision eight, collaboration with other healthcare professionals. B, provision nine, articulating nursing values and maintaining integrity of profession. C, pr provision six, establishing, maintaining, and improving healthcare environments. Or D, provision one, Practices with compassion and respect for the dignity, worth, and uniqueness of every individual. guessing C but we're not sure you're guessing C because of the healthcare environments piece and that sounds like it's a an unhealthy unhealthy work environment that's right So we have a, a duty to maintain a just work environment. <clears throat> well, what about D, though? <clears throat> See, I would say D. And that's true, too. So Actually, it would be all of them. Do you see? <laughs> <That's true. laughs> there you go. It's not, it's, not, it, yeah. it's, not, it's not always clear. Right. But yet, you know, these provisions, things overlap. Mm -hmm. But that's why it's important, you know, to, to really understand that all these provisions really are woven with, with each other. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not clear. It's not cut and dry. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's good. That's why ethics is so difficult because there's it no. Is. <laughs> this is the answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. So. Um, I'm going to take questions, if any of you have questions. What I'd like to do, and I don't have enough copies, unfortunately, is you're welcome to just look at, this is the new code. I don't know if any of you have seen it. So you can pass around those and just leaf through them, and you can look and see how things are organized. Um, I'm also going to give you information about the nine provisions with interpretive statements and the changes so that if you were ever to ask ever asked well what's new in the new in the new code you can just go right to this sheet um, and it'll tell you are your slides available my slides are available mm -hmm. so that's that's a overview summary of the code the uh, nine provisions and how they've changed. <clears throat> Here are some of the websites that I referred to that you can link to and you can look at some of these websites for nurses and ethics organizations. And again, I apologize, but I don't have any other copies, but this is the book that I was speaking to that's going to be out. And this is it <laughs> right here. Um, this is the new one with interpretive statements, uh, information about why we wrote what we wrote, and the case studies. But this, I mean, it, it might be available at the end of this month. I'm, I'm not sure. But that's, that's brand new. difficult conversations. I'm just curious what the committee got hung up on. Um, all the social media. Oh, really? Huh. And, and the reason being is, um, you know, we, we felt that, um, you know, it belonged, but we, we were torn about, um, you know, what defines social media. We, we were stuck with that. Uh -huh. I told you we were stuck with the term interdisciplinary and intra-professional. Intra mm -hmm. We were stuck on that for a month. And you ended up with interprofessional or interdisciplinary? Interprofessional. Interprofessional. Yeah. We were interdisciplinary because in the research field we pulled literature that talked specifically about interdisciplinary research, but then we got fixated and focused on just the research component and then we removed ourselves from just research and said okay what do all nurses need to know what's the term and so interdisciplinary came in, came back into um, an interprofessional came back into the code mm -hmm. um, again we didn't want any buzzwords so we had to steer clear of you know some of these very very controversial words. We, we, we took it as a, you know, we didn't want to create confusion. We wanted to create clarity. Mm -hmm. um, 
some of the other areas that we expanded upon, I said, you know, social justice was big. Global health, we didn't even have anything in the previous code about global health. Right. Now we're speaking the language of, you know, ethics across international borders because we have nurses that practice international. Right. Yeah. So we had to embed that into the code. And so there was a whole new territory for us to explore. And we had people that were public health, global health experts on the committee, on the National Steering Committee. Um, genetics and genomics was not even in the 2001 code. Right. So I had to look at you know what the baccalaureate essentials are for nurses, um, and so I had to, to say, look, you know, nurses need to be able to answer questions at the bedside of the patients coming in to the hospital or being you know in, in a in a practice, any practice, any, and is going to ask a nurse about you know genetic testing. Nurses need to understand and know what that language is. Um, of course, confidentiality always comes mm -hmm. up. We were um, careful about, you know, leaving that in and making sure it was as clear as it could be. I, I have a question about your, when you put the, it sounds like you put the 2001 document out for a public comment. Um, who did you, how did you, put it out there, um, and who did you hear from? Was there a, did you hear from primarily advanced practice or bedside or research? What, yeah. What, what was your demographic? Well, we, one of our colleagues on our National Steering Committee is a qualitative researcher, so That's her great. forte is to really synthesize that data. And so we had up on the nursingworld.org and nurse space a portal where we posted the 2001 code. We listed each provision out individually and then we opened it up for public comment. And so that was open to all nurses. But how did you get the word out that it was there to be commented on? Like, I, I don't think I would have ever known that um, I should have well, commented on yeah, something. You know, that, that, that's, I, I hear you because I was the marketing person because oh. I, you know, I was involved with it. But it, it went out as a, an email from the ANA Code, code of Ethics to its members. But it also was a sort of a word of mouth type sure. thing. And if you belong to any particular large organization, nursing organization, it generally came through. Mm -hmm. If it, um, <coughs> if you were an educator, nurse educator, it came through the institution, the organization. Um, you know, we had a lot of comments and we had a lot of information. And again, our qualitative person on the committee was capable of going through and you know, categorizing mm -hmm. and, and tagging everything so that we knew what was what. But it would have been nice to have it really, you know, kind of like a little PR thing where we're out there where more nurses mm -hmm. knew. Um, because it's hard to tell where the bulk of mm -hmm. the respondents were coming from, whether that was bedside, whether it was advanced practice. We, you know, I don't know, I know that. But it would have been nice if we had that but it sounds like it sounds like it must have been representative enough because the, we think the changes so. that you made certainly speak to I think where Dartmouth Hitchcock has grown in the past mm -hmm. yes eleven I mean, we twelve think, years we we think so mm -hmm. you know we we were quite confident after we synthesized everything that we felt we captured the voice mm -hmm. of many nurses.
And it was, you know, I mean, I have to say, you know, you look at the backgrounds of each of these individuals. This is the national, this is the national steering committee that worked on this document. Um, this is us here at the ANA headquarters, and we all came from very, very different backgrounds. There, there were, you know, researchers, advanced practice uh, nurses. There were policymakers, global health, public health um, ethicists. There were a few very well-known ethicists in our group. Um, we had a lawyer, nurse lawyer in our group. Um, the bedside nurses as well? Bedside nurses, yeah. yeah. Is there any kind of directive through ANA about how often these um, codes and standards should be reviewed? It just seems 14, 13 years is a horrendous amount of time just with all the changes in healthcare before. Yeah. You know, you would think, I mean, some of our things here, you know, they have to be reviewed a minimum of every three, two years to three years so that they stay current. Well, yeah, that's a big gap from that 2001 to, to now is a, is a very long time frame. Um, it's supposed to be every eight to ten years is the focus of the code. That still seems huge. But, but it is yeah. big. And I, I have to say, um, this one really, in terms of revisions, was, I think, one of the most labor-intensive in terms of, you know, language. Like, like every four. I, I, you know, I would have to agree with you because I mean, healthcare is. And a minimum. Healthcare changes every day. It changes all the time. And so, you know, I just know in my field of genetics, my field of genetics, I mean, the human genome just yeah. really finished, but we're already moving on to this big data and this big population type of work. And, you know, we're just not there. I mean, nurses need to know about genetics and genomics, and they need to understand that they're going to hear that language when they're at the bedside or in the primary care office but, or a tertiary care center. Um, but it doesn't seem like we review it enough. It needs to be updated more frequently mm -hmm. along the lines of, you know, healthcare shifts, you know, a lot, but we need to keep it current. Just check to see if anybody has questions. published and what's the kind of feedback you're getting? Um, we have received positive feedback. Yeah. I think that there have been, we had a large conference in Baltimore in June, uh -huh. which was the release of this code. Oh, okay. And we had many nurses in pretty 
you know, different roles and settings come and be the, the keynote speakers. And so we feel that they were really, they were very much pleased with the language and pleased with, you know, how we developed the provisions and the way we did. We did change things. The framework is there as the original framework. Mm -hmm. right. That's not what we are, our intent was. Our intent was to infuse new language, make it a living, breathing document so that you could pick it up as a new nurse, mm -hmm. as a seasoned nurse, and you can see the language that's occurring in practice. I mean, it's there, you know, everything from social justice to social media to genetics to you know, evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's there. And the terminology that we should know as nurses and that we, you know, will be faced with when we're in, when we're in the clinical setting. So it, it's, you know, it's been well received. I think other professions, even outside of nursing, have looked at it. Mm -hmm. I think the bioethics, bioethicists, we had some bioethicists oh. look at it, and they were very pleased with it because we captured again yeah. the basis of the foundation of the nursing practice. And I think that does speak to um, what Ellen said earlier, though, the importance of sort of meeting and discussing on a more regular basis because the terminology does change. It does. Um, more frequently than... It definitely yeah, does. Yes, fourteen years. Or, yeah, it definitely does. And we want, you know, we want it. We want it to be a source document mm -hmm. that nurses, all nurses, especially new nurses, because there's a lot that is thrown at you. I think as a new nurse, and right. you're faced with these really um, ethical uncertainties mm -hmm. that they don't know what to do and they don't know where to go. And so mm -hmm. this becomes a very nice document. Mm -hmm. And again, it's. You know, it's it's got the the techie component, which is it's online. It's got link, links that you can click on, and you can go to the glossary, and it takes you right to very. Um, it's got active words within the code itself. So you can get all this on electronically. Yes. Without purchasing, it's just available. Yes, at nursingworld.org okay. is where the the link is, yes. and you don't need to purchase a paper copy. Oh, okay. Um, that book that's going around, that's, you know, you'd have to purchase that right. from, from the ANA. Yeah. Any of these books here that are sort of add-ons, the guide to the code of ethics, yeah. these are all, you know, sold by the ANA, published by the right. ANA, but, you know, they'd have to be purchased and available. Right. But the online, you know, the web portal is a very nice, yeah. I think if, you know, institutions, you know, uh, uh, maybe had a link for that, on, on you know their their system website that nurses would be able to just go right mm -hmm. to it and you know use it. So. Anybody online? Have questions? No, no questions no. online. Okay. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you so much. It was fabulous. Yeah, yeah very good. Thank you.